The PRCA recently released its 2018 Digital PR and Communications Report. Some of the findings were, to me at least, quite astonishing. For example, while PR teams are controlling more and more digital and social media activity, confidence in the ability to measure that activity is down and now sits below confidence in measuring traditional PR. I think that so often the strategic direction that we we put in place for campaigns isn't necessarily put in place in a way that allows us to have meaningful measurements at the end of it. We need to have a much broader conversation about how strategically we should be putting together digital PR campaigns that allow us to actually provide our clients or our internal stakeholders with clarity around the return on investment that that this activity is actually making on the business. Danny Watmore is chair of the PRCA Digital Group. In today's show, Danny and I dissect the report and look at what the implications are for the PR industry. We discuss the apparent move away from comms dealing with social media customer service and digital crisis management, whether measurement exists as an afterthought, how the comms function is evolving, and why there is such a large drop in budgets being put towards influencer marketing. I get very concerned when clients or or even colleagues are asking for influencers as kind of one-off reach generators. I think the industry is getting wise to this stuff. I think we've been in a bubble or in a a hype curve over the last kind of 18 months or so. I think it's very important for us as PR professionals to make sure that we are properly advising our clients on the opportunities of influence marketing, but also being very clear about some of the kind of less positive aspects of this as well. That's coming up after this. This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. So Danny, I've got a bit of a bone to pick with you because since we last spoke, which is, it's been a while admittedly, but so you've now had a baby, you're now MD of (laughs) Integrated Media at Weber Shandwick and you've written a book, right? In in that time, in that same time frame, I think all I've done is basically go greyer, <laughs> and that's about it. I've I've definitely gone greyer as well, so uh, we've we've got that in common. <laughs> How's it all going with with Weber Shandwick and everything over there? It's good. Well, I mean, you know, you know what agency life is like. There's never a never a dull moment. I think this year, even even that little couple of week summer lull didn't really happen this year. So I'm I'm hoping that things might quieten down a little bit in in December. But yeah, you know, you know what it's like. There's never a never a dull moment. Always something going on. No, absolutely. And your new book has literally just been published. Called well, it's called Digital PR. Yeah, I, I did actually come up with a much more elaborate title, but the, the publisher explained to me that actually these days you kind of have to treat book titles like you would sort of SEO, basically, whereas okay. it's, it's kind of Ronsil, you know, what it says on the tin is the best course of action so that when people are searching in Amazon, you're coming up for the right thing rather than anything too uh, too elaborate. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty boring title-wise, but, <laughs> but hopefully... It, 
hopefully it gives people a pretty good idea of what's inside. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll come on and talk about that in a little bit. But the main reason I invited you on today is to talk about the PRCA's new digital PR and communications report, which is the sixth year, I think I'm right in saying that, this has been done. And you're the head of the PRCA's digital group, another thing that you do. So I, I wanted to dig into some of the findings in this because when I read it, there were a lot of things that astounded me, I think. Yeah. The headline grabbing thing on it was that the rise in ownership of digital and social by PR teams throughout the year has been about 12%, which is on the face of it, good news. But then the confidence in people's ability to measure what they're doing with that in terms of return on investment has dropped by five percentage points. Yeah. Do you have any idea why that would be? I mean, I love this report every year because there are some things that, that come out of it and you think, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And, yeah. and that kind of aligns with how I'm seeing the world and, and you know, the conversations I'm having with clients and all that kind of stuff. And then there are some things where you're just like, wow, that's really surprising. And and the other thing, you'll know this, you know, the, the trouble with surveys is you always then just have to read into potential reasons for the, for the results. You know, we, yes. we don't know why people are saying these things. So take everything I'm about to say with a total pinch of salt because it's absolutely (laughs) just my perspective on these things but I think I have definitely seen this shift in terms of in-house teams controlling more of the kind of day-to-day activation of of social media activity in particular and that's actually a trend that we've seen pretty much since the since the the research started six years ago so so I think that is a trend that feels relatively accurate and something that I I think makes a lot of sense and and actually is something that I advise clients to do the reporting one is is fascinating because it it's one of those ones that fluctuates right so we've had some years where we've seen a kind of a big spike in people's confidence we've had other years where where it's taken a dip it does fluctuate quite a lot And the way I look at this is, number one, the PR industry has always had a measurement problem. Yes. And and that stems from the good old days of non-digital, traditional, you know, media relations and coverage reporting and all of that kind of good stuff, which we, we kind of know about. But I think when it gets into the digital realm, we're kind of in this interesting position where where we've suddenly got access to lots more data points, which is which is a good thing. Yeah. But I think that so often the strategic direction that we we put in place for campaigns isn't necessarily put in place in a way that allows us to have meaningful measurements at the end of it. So too often when we're coming up with campaigns, we're almost putting ourselves in a difficult position just in the way that we're actually creating those campaigns. And it Mm -hmm. it makes it very difficult, whether we have the data or not, to have meaningful measurements at the end of this. So my reading of this is not necessarily people saying, we can't measure it or we can't get access to the to the data to measure it. I think a lot of this is actually about saying we need to have a much broader conversation about how strategically we should be putting together digital PR campaigns that allow us to actually provide our clients or our internal stakeholders with clarity around the return on investment that that this activity is actually making on the business. And that's the knotty bit that I think a lot of practitioners are still really struggling with. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, actually, from what I see from my angle. So obviously, I deal with a lot of PR agencies and in-house PR teams. And I would agree with you that that 
strategic element is quite often missing. It's the reason people come to me, really, is to help with that side of things. Yeah. Because especially in the way in this question is phrased, which talks about return on investment, there is more pressure on people now, on companies, to provide a proper business return on investment to social and digital activity. Whereas going back a few years, that pressure perhaps wasn't there, arguably, anyway. Mm. And maybe that is what is undermining people's confidence because they're suddenly faced with not just proving that their content marketing metrics are good, but actually what does that mean to the business? And that's probably where this is coming from. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're absolutely right. And I think so often measurement still exists as a bit of an afterthought. Mm -hmm. Essentially, if you're setting a clear objective up front, which you can tie back to some kind of business impact then it should be pretty easy at the end of that campaign or the end of that piece of activity to then demonstrate results that show whether we met that objective or not and therefore whether that has any business impact the trouble i think with too much pr and comms activity at the moment is those objectives at the the beginning are either not clearly defined or there is not a tight enough link between that comms objective and what we're actually trying to achieve for the business. It sounds very simple when when you lay it out like that, and obviously it's not. But I do think if we have greater clarity around some of those things right at the beginning and in that kind of planning period, then I kind of feel as though some of the measurement piece at the end almost kind of takes care of itself. Absolutely. I I totally agree with you on that. What what struck me as well is that because of this dip in confidence in measuring digital ROI, it's actually dipped below, according to this report at least, confidence in measuring traditional PR. Yeah, which is bonkers, isn't it? It's crazy because, I mean, that that to me is worrying, actually, not just crazy. Yeah. yeah, it remains to be seen how that, that sorts itself out, I guess. But like I say, I think there, there are maybe explanations for it. Another thing that stood out for me was around crisis management and digital crisis management. And the report highlighted that only 4% of in-house teams are using their PR and comms function or agencies for digital crisis management. And again, that astounded me that that is so low. And it's down. You know, it, again, I, I agree. It's fascinating. I mean, Crisis is always such an interesting one because it's a little bit like taking out insurance. It's kind of one of those things that you kind of almost don't want to do um, if you don't have to until potentially something unfortunate comes along. So there's that aspect of it. I wonder also if there is a little bit more confidence generally in people being able to deal with digital crisis maybe in-house teams, maybe having actually gone through some of this stuff already. And so maybe they're a little bit more confident. Five years ago, businesses were often doing a lot of this stuff the first time. So the first time something went horribly wrong on Twitter, they were basically dealing with it for the first time. And I think they were obviously therefore potentially more eager to lean on external people that had maybe gone through some of this stuff before and and, and sort of help them out. Maybe now we're seeing a little bit more confidence and and people are starting to actually get the hang of some of this stuff. Okay, Maybe that's that's one potential explanation for some of it. Yeah, it could be. It it could be as well that five years ago, companies were very scared of that, of something happening on social, which would affect them yeah and i think there was a lot of buzz about you're going to have a a major problem if something goes wrong on social whereas 
it generally never was the case, and it's certainly not now. Most what people think of as crisis are just minor issues. And yeah, you have squabbles on Twitter or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's nothing that actually impacts the business in a major way. So so maybe that's having an impact as well on the, on that statistic. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and you know, I, I, I certainly see clients having a more balanced reaction to crisis situations yeah. on social and digital when they happen versus even a couple of years ago when when it was almost, you know, one negative tweet suddenly becomes this this yeah. awful situation and you have everyone from the CEO down kind of worrying about it. Whereas now I think people are are generally a little bit more comfortable with the fact that you are going to get negativity, you're going to get situations that are going to be uncomfortable and, and things maybe that you, you wish weren't being said. But actually, to your point, it doesn't necessarily need to result in a full on, you know, crisis <laughs> scenario and crisis situation. And, and that, I, I think that's a very good thing. And that's a healthy thing for for the way that comms is is working in the broader world as well. Yeah, absolutely. And linked to this, another finding from the risk report was that the number of businesses using social media for customer service was down as well, which again, really surprised me. And the stat quoted in here was down by 11%. To me, when I'm talking to my clients or most of my clients, I always talk about customer service as being one of, maybe not the major, but one of the major uses for certainly Twitter, but other forms of social media as well. So that one really surprised me as well. I mean, is that just me or... I, so I think my kind of potential explanation for this is I think obviously we need to remember that the people responding to this survey are PR and comms professionals. Yeah. And I think what we're potentially seeing with customer service is when social was kind of being set up, it often sat with a PR team or a social team or a digital team. And almost because of that, they were being asked to do a customer service job alongside a comms job. Yes. Now, what I think we've seen over the last couple of years with the increasing maturity of social as a platform is that actually businesses are saying rather than necessarily putting all that pressure on my social digital comms function, maybe we should be more closely aligning the customer service element through social with our contact center, for example, okay. or our other sort of customer service elements. So I wonder if this is a reflection of the fact that increasingly customer service is being split out from comms as a as a social function and we're seeing more of that stuff actually being delivered through different parts of the business which again i think is a sign of the development and maturity of the of the kind of platform yeah is is that something you've seen from from clients at weber in terms of the splitting out of different functions which like you say at one stage had all kind of appeared to be merging into this comms role do you think they are splitting back out again? I think I'm definitely seeing more and more clients saying, you know what, uh, we're getting a, a big volume and, in, and an increasing volume of customer service inquiries through social. Yeah. We need to make sure we've got the right processes in place to be able to manage that effectively. And sometimes getting a comms community manager to be doing all of that stuff maybe isn't the most efficient use of time and resource and budget where we've actually got trained customer service professionals in other parts of our business who are much more adept to that stuff. I think the challenge comes where this is a different channel to a traditional contact center where a traditional contact center is essentially dealing with customer inquiries 
through private channels. So whether that's phone or email or whatever it might be. Whereas a lot of stuff on social is still public and is still in the public domain. So I think that's where you have an interesting tension between the role of a or the um, purpose of a customer service professional versus the role of a comms professional. And sometimes those two things collide. And I think that's where there is still absolutely an important role for PR professionals to ensure that the reputation of a business is still being upheld through these social channels. The Digital Download Membership Scheme gives you on-demand advice, support and coaching when you need it. With exclusive online training, video Q&As with topic experts and a members-only network to discuss all of the latest developments, it gives you the confidence and the peace of mind you need to succeed in digital communications. But don't take my word for it. The thing I find really valuable is that we all share best practice and we tell each other about things that we've learned. We share information on absolutely everything from the latest industry trends to how to manage a new algorithm change. So some really practical information. But I also really like the slightly more formal learning element to it. So in our regular calls, we can focus on a specific subject. It's also a really unjudgy space, which I really like. So I can always ask the kind of questions that I'm pretty sure I should know the answers to, but I don't. So I'm always learning something new, which is um, really useful in an industry that changes every two minutes. I'm Kate Hartley. I run a company called Polpio, which does crisis simulations for brands and agencies. And I also run a PR agency called Carrot Communications. For full details of the membership scheme, visit paulsutton.co forward slash members. Let's talk a bit about influencer marketing. Yeah. I mean, I've been saying for quite a long time now that there was a correction coming in what was happening in influencer marketing. Yeah. And again, this report appears on the face of it to bear that out a bit in terms of marketers' intention to use influencers going forward. It states a 12% decrease in budgets being put towards that activity. To me, that is actually a good thing. I think far too much was being perhaps made of the ability of influencers to provide a business result and people were just throwing money at them. Yeah. And I found it crazy at the time. And, and like I said, I've been saying for a long time that this was going to happen. Do you think this report is starting to show that correction happening? I mean, that that's my explanation. And, and that certainly chimes with my sort of anecdotal experience, I think, over the last 12 months. I think the industry is getting wise to this stuff. And yeah. I totally agree with you. I, I think we've been in a bubble or in a, in a hype curve yeah. over the last kind of 18 months or so. And I think what you're seeing this year is you're seeing big marketers like Unilever coming out and saying, we're really examining the influences that we're working with. We're taking action on fake fans and followers and all yeah. of that kind of stuff. And I, I think what we're seeing through the research and the report this year is some of that stuff sort of starting to come through. That's what I hope anyway. And and, and I, I think it's very important for us as PR professionals to make sure that we are properly advising our clients on the opportunities of influence marketing, but also being very clear about some of the kind of less positive aspects of this as well. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I feel as though it's a balancing out of, of where we've been. What I'd love to see happening over the next sort of 12 months is a very much more strategic use of influencers. And I'd also like to see a move towards the onus being put on them a bit to prove their value. And I know the good ones, the really good influential people that I know are fully behind this because they want to be able to prove their value. They treat what they do as a 
profession almost and you know that they want to show people that they are making a difference and impacting a business uh, and all that side of things so I really hope that comes through over the next you know year or so I really do yeah I, I totally agree I think a, you know a more sustainable approach to influencer marketing I think you know I get very concerned when clients or or even colleagues are asking for influencers as kind of one-off yeah, one of reach generators, <laughs> for want of an, another phrase, a tactical approach. Exactly, and actually, we've we've done some of this stuff with Unilever, where they've said actually we want to really hone in on influencers as a key mouthpiece for our for our brands and for our business, but we want to do that over a three four year period, and we want to actually build proper relationships and and yes, you know, potentially money will change hands or some kind of value will change hands. But we still want to we want to get back to that relationship part of of influencer marketing, which I think too often we've we've lost in the last couple of years. So I agree with you. I think that's exactly where where I hope this will go. And I think if we do go further down that path, then I think there's no reason why influencer marketing won't continue to be a very important part of of that sort of toolkit for for PR pros. Yeah, totally. So let's talk about your book then. Digital PR, like you said, a straightforward title. (laughs) (laughs) What is the book all about? That's not a silly question. (laughs) So I was asked basically to write something which was geared towards people who were either relatively new in their PR career, maybe people who were kind of studying PR at university or people that maybe felt as though they were still working in a relatively traditional way and needed a little bit of sort of guidance or some new ideas in terms of how they could sort of make the most of digital technologies within PR. So that was kind of the, the starting point. And so the, the book goes through different aspects of the sort of digital PR ecosystem and really sort of gives some some ideas, hopefully, and, and some some hopefully practical advice in terms of how you might use some of those things. So there's a chapter on media relations. How do we view media relations through a, a digital lens? There's a chapter obviously on on social, on content and creativity, on influence marketing, as we've just sort of been talking about. But actually I it all kicks off with a chapter on data. And I think as we've talked about in, in our discussion so far, I think for me the biggest shift that we've seen in PR over the last kind of three or four years is the the role that data can potentially play and i feel as though that's potentially one of the areas where as an industry we're maybe still not spending as much of our time and focus as as we maybe should be okay so is it pitched as kind of a a manual for people as a as a guidebook you can dip in and out of or is it more of a sit down and read sort of cover to cover type book you would well you'd expect me to say this i i think it's it's potentially both i mean i think you can obviously sit down with a hot chocolate or or whatever it is you might want to enjoy maybe something a bit stronger of an autumn (laughs) evening and you know it's only 170 odd pages so it's this is not a a kind of one of those business books where you're really kind of having to grind your way through it this is hopefully a relatively easy read something that can be digested in, in one go but yes as you 
say every chapter is around a, a particular component of digital PR. Each chapter is split down into a number of sort of smaller bite-sized areas. And, and so hopefully it is something that can be a sort of ongoing kind of manual that people might kind of want to dip into as well. I've tried to avoid making it something that you read once and then it kind of sits on a dusty shelf and you forget about it. Hopefully it's something that adds value over time. And each each chapter ends with a series of five to 10 questions that I think are useful for PR professionals potentially to be asking themselves in terms of what they're sort of doing day in, day out. And, and that's quite deliberate, actually, because there are a few challenges with writing a book about digital PR, the, the main one being that the moment it was published or the moment I finished writing it, you know, six months ago, it was almost kind of out of date. Yes, absolutely. So what I've tried to do is to future-proof it as much as I possibly can rather than saying this is how you should be using Twitter, which frankly is going to be relatively useless because by the time you pick it up and read it, Twitter probably will have changed. It's more saying, actually, these are some of the areas you should be thinking about. You know, if you're, when you're thinking about how you should be bringing data into your, into your day-to-day work or, or into your organization, these are some of the questions you should be asking yourself. And, and so I hope it's, it's more of a thought provoker rather than necessarily something that's giving you all the answers and, and, and giving you a step-by-step of, of sort of how to do sort of tactical elements. Yeah, it's interesting you say about writing a book of, of this nature and it being out of date potentially before it's even published. Yeah. I had a concept for a, a book myself, which I sort of started writing a little while back. And I came to the same conclusion that yeah. by the time this thing got in print, it would be a bit useless. So, so I kind of gave up on it, uh, but maybe I shouldn't. Who do you think should go out and buy this book? I mean, other than obviously everyone listening to this podcast, who is it firmly aimed at? Well, Christmas is coming. So, Absolutely. you know, I think <laughs> perfect timing. Which I'm sure is just coincidence, right? <laughs> So my mum has a copy and she's all, she's always asked me what I do for a living and never totally understood it. So I'm hoping this might once and for all uh, put some of that to rest. People who have, uh, who have spent a lot of time in digital PR and, and, and social media like yourself, Paul, you know, I think, I think this is less a book designed for you. And I think if people are looking for really cutting edge, advanced thought leadership about where some of this stuff is going, then the kind of amazing bloggers out there in the industry, I think are probably going to be a much better place to, to get some of that stuff. Sure. But if you're, if you're starting off in the industry, or maybe you're, you're new into the industry, maybe you're coming from a different place, you know, at Weber, we are hiring a lot of people at the moment who have never worked in PR before they've maybe worked in other kind of disciplines and I think this is probably quite a a useful primer for those types of people I think people that are studying PR I think will hopefully get a good amount of value out of it but also I'm very conscious that it's increasingly difficult to divorce and I say this right in the first paragraph in the book you know, it's quite difficult to divorce what is and what isn't digital these days. Yeah. And so it, in some ways, I could have even removed the word digital, I think, from the title, because a lot of what we're talking about in this book is, is the fact that actually these days PR is multifaceted. It covers all of these channels. And there are going to be very few campaigns where where some of these things aren't going to be sort of part and parcel of what you're doing. So hopefully for professionals that are maybe not dealing with some of these elements, Elements on a on a day to day basis. 
this can hopefully be a, a useful guide and, and, and as I said earlier, a thought provoker in terms of how they might be looking at doing things in a slightly different way. Yeah, fantastic. And that's available now on Amazon, I'm right in saying that? Yeah, it's on Amazon and I, I would say all good bookshops, but I think that would be a lie. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Amazon or through the publisher Emerald as well. Fantastic. Okay, well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this morning. Where can people get hold of you if they want to discuss any more of this with you? All the kind of usual usual kind of places, really. I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, pretty much all the other networks you can imagine, all through the PRCA as well. So obviously, I'm, as you said, I'm chair of the digital group. I should say, actually, the book is part of a series that the PRCA are pushing out. So this is the first one they've published, but there are several other books coming out in the next couple of months, one around crisis, one about writing, um, sort of copywriting for PR. So I think there's plans for a, a conference in Q1 that's going to kind of talk about some of the issues that are coming through in, in the whole series of books. So um, so there are absolutely look out for that as well. It should be an interesting event. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Google Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like to see covered or people you'd like to hear from, contact me on Twitter where I'm at the Paul Sutton. Thank you for listening.